get the support you need from our partner Handful, the maker of our favorite sports bras. Choose from seven styles of bras in an array of colors. Save 25% now through December 1, thanks to Black Friday promotion. After that, save 15% at Handful.com with promo code HANDFULAMR15. Thrive Cosmetics offers luxury, high-performance cosmetics that highlight your best features and improve your skin tone over time. For each product you purchase, they donate to help a woman thrive. Go to thrivecosmetics.com AMR for 15% off your first order. Most days, we can all use some help. Make it better help. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com AMR. Start living a better life today. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Liz Waterstrot. Hello, Liz. Hi, Sarah. How goes it? Good. Uh, so, hey, how was Alex's wedding? Alex, our podcast producer, it was so fabulous. Uh, Alex was such a wonderful host. His bride, oh my goodness, she could not have looked more gorgeous. Her dress was just dynamite and it fit her like a glove. It was fabulous. Um, and so I took Molly Williams, my running partner and, um, occasional co-host as my guest instead as my plus one, instead of my husband, um, since, uh, Molly knows Alex and they bond over their love of DB Cooper and Sasquatch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what the, I, let's just let that one go. I, I don't even know. I don't know what that is. I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs> Oh, come on. Both are uh, Pacific Northwest legends. Um, so Google it, people. Google it. Uh, yes. So, oh, it's fun to get dressed up. It was in this beautiful, huge renovated space that used to be some type of, I don't know, factory or some. It had um, still had some big pieces of equipment that were very sculptural and artistic looking and uh, lots of, you know, exposed brick and exposed wood. And the ceiling was probably six stories high above your head and beautiful lights and fall um, like leaves and uh, flowers and oh, so good. And the food. Oh, my goodness. The food was exquisite. Um, it was uh, I got vegetarian uh, entree, but then. Um, the rest of the food was past family style and I do eat chicken. So I did take a piece of chicken and the person next to me was like, Sarah, take a piece of chicken. I'm like, okay. Uh, <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. And I will, um, Alex might be a little embarrassed that I reveal this, but he, when he and his bride were um, not vows exactly, but when they were, you know, kind of um, saying special things to each other before the vows, Alex got um, teary and uh you know had to pause a couple times and oh that just broke me i was i was i was not crying up until then but when alex started crying like okay that's it i'm crying now (laughs) (laughs) so it's just so wonderful it's um i don't know it it, this is the second quote-unquote young person wedding i've been to as a um you know middle-aged person and there's just something that really reaffirms my faith in humanity um, you know, they, they were so lovely, their love, they shared freely of it with, you know, you just felt a sense of it there at the, um, ceremony and the reception. And then the guests were so nice. The other young people guests were so nice. Oh, so friendly and welcoming and gosh, Molly and the guy she was seated next to just hit it off. Like, like <laughs> 
second. I I wasn't going to jump in. I have, who was she sitting next to? I got to know. She was sitting next to, I'm embarrassed to say I don't know his name. He has kind of reddish hair and a beard. And he um, was, he's the either the husband or the boyfriend of one of the bridesmaids. Um, oh, 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 oh. Okay, yeah, got it. Yeah. I, maybe, okay, that might have been Joe. I don't, I don't know. I'd have to ask Molly. But, oh, you know, oh, they just chat, 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 chat. Uh, it was fun to see. <laughs> I'm glad. Well, I, I want to thank you so much for coming. It really meant oh. a lot for you guys to be there. And um, oh. yeah, I, I'm glad you guys had such a oh, great yeah. time. I, it was really special for us. And uh, it was it anyway, was, thank you. That's yeah, all. It was wonderful. And so, and then also it was fun because we were seated at the table with our previous podcast producer, Jonah and his wife, Annie, who coincidentally, my older daughter, Phoebe works as a nanny for them one or two days a week for their adorable baby, Simon, who is, I guess, 16 months old. And Phoebe and Simon just love each other so much. He can now, he calls her BB. Um, can't say the F sound. So Phoebe becomes BB and he likes to say it about a hundred thousand times. Uh, so that was, that was very fun to, to see them. And it was funny because then Annie, um, Jonah's wife said, gosh, Molly's just so, you know, social and vibrant. I'm like, oh, Molly thinks she's a sociopath, but every time I take her out, she's just like lively, lively, lively. <laughs> so it was great fun. It was great fun. So good, yes, good. yes, yes. Do you go to many weddings? No, I'm in that phase of life where my friends have all gotten married uh -huh. and just waiting to get, you know, a little bit older when people's kids start getting married. Yes. Yes. Or maybe you could, maybe some of your friends could get divorces and then get remarried. Uh. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it's just interesting being at weddings at different phases of your life, you know, like when you're the same age as the bride and, you know, now yeah. being like the, the elder stateswoman at a wedding. <laughs> yeah. So. You're, you're the old person. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? You're not the, yes. You certainly weren't the oldest person. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'd been, it was my second night wearing fancy dress clothes. Uh, the night before I'd gone out to our, my son's dance company's fundraising auction. So wore a sparkly wow. sequiny dress to that. Um, and oh my gosh, I got back from Rancho La Puerta where Dimity and I were presenters got back the flight. I don't know. I was home by three o'clock in the afternoon and at four o'clock, literally an hour later, I am dashing to get shoes to wear with the dress, which I had ordered three dresses. Cause I was like, okay, I need a, a dress to wear this auction. I'll just order three. I'll return the rest. So get them. And then I'm like, before I left, I thought, Oh, I'm sure I have shoes. They'll work fine with it. I have not worn dress shoes in so long that the two pairs that I could have chosen between were literally disintegrating. Like I, <laughs> I take them out of the box. I'm like, what is all this stuff in the box? And you know, when you, when oh you boy. don't buy expensive shoes, you know, the, the nine West shoes do, do have an expiration date on them. I guess from the 1990s, they don't last as long as nine west gosh that's a name brand i haven't heard in yeah probably two decades or so right. or are they out of business like that I, I haven't been in a mall I, so. I have no idea right who goes to the mall anymore is the bigger question because right. that's where they always were exactly so, exactly I'm, I'm impressed though that you you put on nice clothes yeah and, and a dress i don't know i don't i don't know about you but i mean i have this great wardrobe of athleisure 
Yes. Oh, yeah. And some sometimes I reserve my best athleisure for really special occasions like <laughs> holidays. You know? These are my fancy <laughs> yoga pants, family. <laughs> Take them in. But uh, yeah, so I, I am actually going out tonight with some friends and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I have to put on jeans. <laughs> Liz, I, I never put on pants really other than uh, joggers. Oh my gosh. Please. I even wore, they're not Spanx. They're, you know, a, an off brand, but I mean, I wore, you know, a foundation garment under my, my dress. Both nights. Was it magical? Did it make uh, you spelt? No, hmm, no. I think there is a reason why you should pay for Spanx, but, um, uh, but oh my gosh, when I picked up um, Jack, my husband gave Molly and me a ride to Alex's wedding. So then um, we took a lift back and, but you know, we're cheap. So we want to, so I'm like, Hey, take us. So anyway, so we pick up Molly and she's like, Oh my gosh, all afternoon I was running around. I'm like, no, where are my spanks? Where are my neck? Where's the necklace I want to wear? Where are my earrings? Where's the, this, where's my little purse that I can carry all these things that just are tucked away for, you know, those, those rare occasions when you wear them. Yeah. So, I mean, the dress I wore to Alex's wedding, I think I wore to a wedding in, I mean, 2017. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So, but it was, it was fun. It was fun to get dressed up and, um, I haven't timed my hair cut and my hair color well. So I was like, Oh, please let my hair not look like a nightmare for both big events <laughs> that people actually see me. <laughs> but Hey, I was sporting a tan from Rancho Puerto. So I'm like, that'll go a long way. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Well, none of that has anything to do with what we're talking about today. Um, in case you didn't know, November is Native American Heritage Month. Thus, as part of our Run in Our Shoes series, we're talking to two Native American women runners today, including the founder of an organization called Native Women Running. Liz and I are eager to talk with these women, so stay with us. Team AMR loves handful bras and the small team of women who founded and run the brand. All handful products are designed by women who are guided by the stated purpose of supporting women so they can grab life by the handful. As handful founder Jennifer Ferguson has told me numerous times, above all, we make our products to be comfortable and versatile. Their products are backed by the handful high five, fashion, function, feel, fun, and fight against cancer. Handful helps survivors in myriad ways. So let's talk about Handful's amazing line of bras. There are seven styles in a broad array of colors and patterns. They're all made of super soft and stretchy fabrics that reduce chafing, wick moisture, and dry fast. I fell in love with some of Handful's limited additional seasonal colors, so I just stocked up on my favorite style, the Wyback Bra, in several colors, including a deep red called Upbeat, I love a good pun, and a dark camo called Hideout. Head to Handful.com to check out the styles and colors of bras and order with confidence. Handful offers easy, hassle-free returns and exchanges, so your satisfaction is guaranteed. Now through December 1, every item is marked down at least 25% with others discounted up to 75%. Wow! If you miss that Black Friday sale, save 15% at Handful.com with promo code HandfulAMR15. Again, that 15% code is HandfulAMR15 at handful.com. But if you're hearing this before December 1st, hustle on over there to save at least 25% at handful.com. During the holidays, I like to step up my appearance game and I suspect I'm not alone. 
This year, Thrive Cosmetics makes it easy. Thrive Cosmetics offers luxury, high-performance cosmetics that highlight your best features and improve your skin over time. Their products are made with clean, effective, skin-loving ingredients. Thrive Cosmetics is certified as 100% vegan and cruelty-free by PETA and Leaping Bunny. Thrive Cosmetics has a bold mission that's truly bigger than beauty. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help women thrive, such as women emerging from homelessness, surviving domestic abuse, and more. AMR saw this mission in action in our, in our October collaboration with Fighting Pretty, which in turn partners with Thrive, offering support for women undergoing cancer treatment. Two Thrive Cosmetics products that now are my daily go-tos. Brilliant Eye Brightener, a cream to powder highlighter stick in Aurora, a rose gold shimmer, and Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. Wow, I look way more alert, and dare I say it, vibrant, with that combo around my eyes. And the Defying Gravity Eye Lifting Cream tightens and brightens the skin around my eyes, another thing that helps me put my best face forward. The fact that there are no parabens, sulfates, and phthalates in any of the products means you can feel good about what you're putting around sensitive areas like your eyes. Go to thrivecosmetics.com AMR for 15% off your first order. This is an exclusive offer for our listeners. That's thrive, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S.com slash AMR for 15% off your first order. Shorter daylight hours can be tough on the body and mind. I find I have to nurture my mental health more in the winter. I'm grateful for the help I get from BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, you can start communicating with your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide, and BetterHelp offers a broad range of expertise, which may not be locally available in many areas. BetterHelp offers a broad range of licensed professional counselors who specialize in a variety of realms, including relationships and family conflicts, sleeping, trauma, anger and grief, self-esteem, sexual and gender identity. With BetterHelp, you'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and send a message to your counselor anytime. I've found it incredibly helpful to have BetterHelp sessions to work through issues that arose and festered during the last two years. It's helping me bring more light into my days, even during these darker months. Start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com AMR. Join more than 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp.com slash AMR for 10% off your first month. Betterhelp.com slash AMR. Thanks, BetterHelp. I am honored to be joined by our first guest, Verna Volker, the founder of Native Women Running, a nonprofit organization with the mission to encourage and feature Native women runners in the running community on and off the reservation. Just found out she's also the co-host or sorry, the host of a new podcast called Native Runners. Um, Verna grew up in New Mexico, but now lives in Minneapolis with her husband and four children. A runner for a dozen years, Verna is a marathon and ultra marathon runner. Welcome, Verna. Hello. Thank you for having me. Delighted to have you. So, so please share a bit of your ancestry with us and enlighten me, please, if that is, is that the way I should have phrased that question? Is that okay that I yeah, asked that I think, question? I, I think that's okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I am, my name is Verna Volker. I am, um, I usually part of being a Navajo. I'm from the Navajo nation is we introduce ourselves in our culture and our language. And so I'm just going to give you that little, um, a little bit about that. Um, hi, my name is Verna. I am born of the bitter water and mud people, also the 
uh, tangle people and the water flows together. So yes, I am from the Navajo Nation. I grew up in Northern New Mexico in the Four Corners area. And like you mentioned, I live here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So yeah, so um, like you mentioned, I have, you know, I'm married with four crazy kids. <laughs> <laughs> how, how old are your kids? You know, I have an 18 year old now, which is scary because I'm uh -huh. like, I never thought I would ever have an 18 year old, but I have an 18 year old, a 15 and a 13 year old and then a nine year old. So three boys and a little girl. And so I'm at the stage of, never thought I'd be at the stage where we're looking at, like he got accepted to college and I'm like, you're never leaving me, but he is, <laughs> he will be leaving next year. And which is so hard for me to imagine. So I'm embracing the time that I have with him. So yes, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So Verna, tell us a little bit about your journey as a runner. Oh, yes. You know, a lot of times um, the stories that I share of like native runners, a lot of them grew up running. They grew up running because they've had generations of runners in their families. And I was not one of them. And um, I always talk about how I started running 13 years ago uh, in the midst of motherhood when I had three little boys. Um, and I started running because we moved here to Minneapolis, Minnesota. We went through this whole life change of moving from Nebraska to here with like a two, two month, two week old, a little guy and a toddler <laughs> and a preschooler. I know crazy. Um, and we were trying to find a house because the housing market was, you know, it was that point where there was issues with people buying, selling houses, buying houses, all that stuff. So we moved here and I just remember that was very stressful. And I always like any mother, we always take care of everybody. And mm -hmm. I remember, uh, just being at, I think I was, I weighed myself and I remember being like the heaviest ever mm -hmm. because I feel like I was stressed and I was just eating to comfort me. And I mm -hmm. finally was like, I need to take care of myself. And so we finally got into house of March of 2009. And I noticed here in Minneapolis, people were running. It was like a running culture everywhere. And so mm -hmm. one day my sister was here she was visiting and she said, let's go run. There looks like there's a lot of parks here. And I remember we just kind of did this little run. And uh, after that, I was like, wow, I should start running, <laughs> you know? And she's like, you should. And so then I just started running. It was mm -hmm. like, I, um, I didn't really love it. I was mm -hmm. always an athlete. And I remember growing up hating like the conditioning part of like basketball, volleyball. I was like, who runs, you know? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I just hated it, but I did it, of course. And I remember being very, uh, I had no idea about running. I was one of those people who had no idea that you should probably go to a running store and get fitted for shoes. And you should probably have a training plan. Um, all those things were like, I didn't have a running watch, things like that. So I just kind of learned, you know, okay, this is, I guess you have to do it like this. And then there was a race here locally, a half marathon. And I was like, oh, I should try that race. And so I did. And um, I think it was then. August of 2009, when I decided, wow, I actually finished that race. Mm -hmm. I was still, you know, losing weight at that, in that stage of my life. But I remember after that uh, half marathon, um, I finished and I thought, actually, I really, wow, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And from there, it's been a crazy journey of like running 5Ks, 10Ks. And then I started doing marathons, like did 20 cities, did Chicago. And then four years ago, 
is when I just decided, you know what, I think I can go longer. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started getting into ultras, 50 Ks, 50 miler. And I just finished my first 100 (gasps) K. Wow. Congratulations. Over two weeks ago, 22 hours in Arizona heat, because I I laugh Mm -hmm. about it because I'm in Minnesota. And so the weather is very drastic. It's like cooler here. We're right. We're wearing like pants and coats and, you know, (laughs) and (laughs) to train here is like very shady, much cooler. (laughs) uh, And we don't have the elevation gain or, you know, things like that. So, but, you know, I have a coach, he got me through it and I had to do a lot of like interval, like inclines on the treadmill, which was very Mm. good. And I ran that race in desert of like 90 degree temperature. Mm. And so I can say I can run in desert now. (laughs) So, yeah, so that was, that's how it's been. It's been such a crazy journey. And sometimes I'm like, I can't believe I'm here. Like, I can't believe I'm on your podcast. I mean, really? So (laughs) it's been such a a amazing journey. journey and just I'm always grateful for uh, these opportunities. Oh, well, well, we're so pleased to have you. Congratulations on your 100K. That sounds like it was very demanding. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) It was. was, You know, what's crazy is like now I'm like, well, I'm okay. That's done. I'm like, I'm kind of bored now. What could I do next? (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Give your body a little time to recover and and make it through the uh, Minnesota winter. I think that's your next next (laughs) stop. Right. Um, um, so please tell us about the impetus to found Native Women Running and what, what are your goals with the organization? Yeah, so I, um, when I started running, um, I noticed on social media, I, th- I would think it was this later, like 2016, I noticed people were posting their runs on like social media. And I remember doing more so on Twitter and people would say, hey, I ran six miles today. And then people would comment back and say, hey, good job. And so I found this community on Twitter and then I, I quit doing that. And then I think somehow I got onto Instagram and then I noticed people were doing the same thing. And so I just started like posting my run. And then one day I was kind of doing some research of like, I wasn't seeing native runners in mainstream mm. media. I would see one particular like runner who was like thin, white, blonde, just kind of the typical runner that you would see all the time. And I remember seeing the specific Instagram post of this uh, you know, white runner. She was blonde, skinny. She had a Boston Marathon, like finish her shirt on, and then she was holding a baby. And I just remember thinking, I do not relate with her. Like I'm mm-hmm. like, I wish I could, but I don't see myself in her. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing research on running apparel, running podcasts, um, you know, magazine articles. I would find native runners, but they were far and few. And I was developing all these native runners on like who were following me and they were like following me and I would see them post their runs. And I was like, why isn't anyone posting about them? And I was Mm. like, some of them were incredible. They were running like Boston and ultras. And so then one day I decided to start this account on January 23rd, 2018. Mm -hmm. I asked a few of the followers who were native. I said, Hey, if I made this account, would you follow? They said, Oh yes, we would. And so it went from just like a dozen to like now to 26.7 K followers. And it's just, I think I, because I didn't see myself in running, I wanted to see other people who look like me. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to celebrate these women who were doing amazing things, who were teachers, who were mothers, who were running five Ks. And I feel like with my platform, with my leadership, I just want these women to shine. 
because Native women, oftentimes we are looked, we're looked at in a negative way in regards to, you know, overly sexualized costumes and mm. um, mascots. And there's this almost like this fetish with us. And so I wanted to change that and make our women in the forefront where they're seen as positive people. And so somehow this, this, <laughs> this uh, online community has grown and all I do, cause people ask me, so what, what is your secret? What do you do? And I'm like, I simply just share their stories. I repost their runs and I try to give everybody, uh, a sh- t- I want to spotlight them as much as I can. And so now it's become a community where we just uh, encourage each other pot- in a positive way. We motivate each other, we inspire. And so now I do virtual events and I always tell people that we were a virtual community before the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. the transition wasn't like a huge deal when we all had to shut down, but Mm -hmm. I created virtual runs so that we could just do something during those, you know, those times. And then, and so now the mission is recently, I just found uh, four native women, three native women to join me on a team to help me run this because I've been running this by myself. Mm -hmm. And I basically, quit teaching uh, these like uh, last year. I quit teaching this year because I was like, I have to do this full time. And so oh, that's great. That wow. is, and the mission for us is like to bring rest- representation. So through that, what I've been doing is just raising money so that we could have a good uh, uh, chunk of money so that we could pay a race registration for our women. Oh. And in that way, we send them a shirt, we pay for their registration. And in that way, they are representing themselves wherever they are. And they're representing native women running and just themselves and just for our people. And so we were able to sponsor a few and I actually talked to two women who um, we're going to be sponsoring. And that's basically what we do with our online store. Uh, And that's our one mission. And I just kind of focus on that um, right now. That is wonderful. Wow. I can't believe you're doing that all on your own for (laughs) several years. No wonder you had to, you know, leave your job. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, it it was just, you know, it was one of those things where it was just kind of a fun thing to do. Like it was like Mm -hmm. a hobby. Yeah. But this year it was like, um, well, last year I kind of, I went back teaching in the, during the pandemic and that was really difficult. And um, somehow I, I just, me and my husband talked and I said, I have to do this full time. I said, I need to learn how to run this and bring people along and just, yeah. So it's been a learning experience for me and I'm trying to learn because I'm such a teacher Mm -hmm. at heart. Like you can give me curriculum for little kindergartners or second graders, give me that. It's like no problem. Mm -hmm. So all this, (laughs) all this stuff has been really new to me, but I just take it one day at a time. Mm. Nice. Good. So the phrase we shall overcome is a powerful one for your organization and right. we suspect Native American runners in general. So can you tell us what those words mean to you and the women in your organization? Yes, many things. Um, you know, as Native people, uh, we often uh, are, you know, people who are probably in their little box forget that we actually exist and we do exist. And I think um, I think just having this organization is just bringing light to like our women that we're still here. And our people 
our Native women and like I think myself, we all have a story. We have a story that runs through our families, whether it's like historical trauma or, uh, you know, generational and just even our own selves have had trauma in our life. And that um, we always talk about how we are resilient people because we had to do that. Our people, our ancestors had to um, go through many things to fight for where we are today. Somehow we just overcome these things. And I think that's what's powerful about that phrase is we somehow are able to stand and say we are like uh, we are here because of our ancestors. And I think that sisterhood, the community that we have with Native women running is that we in all what in many ways relate despite being from different tribes and nations, we all seem to take running in a different way as you know, we're all about competition, but running is more for us a prayer, it's ceremony, it's healing. And so those ways it just, like empowers us that we are going to overcome difficult times. And I think when I share my story, I talk about a lot of the trauma as a child and, and like my hundred K that I just ran, like, you know, over two weeks ago is, was dedicated to people that I have lost in my life. And that was the difference between why I run. And Mm -hmm. so that phrase just kind of says, we will overcome this. We will, we will get out of this. And when you think about the pandemic and specifically the Navajo nation, you know, we were hit so hard with the, with COVID, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. we overcame that, you know, and Mm -hmm. we made it through because we're resilient people. So I think that's a phrase that is very powerful to us all. Mm. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. So what do you think is the biggest misconception or misunderstanding non-Indigenous people have about Native Americans or the first people in Canada? I think a lot of times they think we're all the same. You know, there's Mm. these stereotypes have always been put, you know, uh, history is not taught like it's supposed to in in schools. And so oftentimes, even like I said, people will not know about issues today that face us. And it just shocks me. Like, where are you in a hole? You know, like um, (laughs) it just really boggles my mind that people don't know half the stuff. Or I, I think just those, like we are all from, the same type of like nation. Like I think oftentimes being a Navajo, people will say to me, oh, did you live in the teepee? Or <laughs> there's just almost like this fascination with the Western, uh, you know, the Western shows of these native people, you know, we're like mysterious. We're like, you know, <laughs> these like spiritual beings. And it's like, we are just regular people. We <laughs> are. And so I think those are some of the things that sometimes people forget and just like how we approach running is very different and I think also people forget that we we when we run or in our life like being outdoors like there's a connection to to the land to our people it's more of a, a prayerful prayerful run for us so yeah those are just some of the things I think sometimes people don't understand or don't know and so you know you just do your best to to educate them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Verna, have you ever faced pushback or felt threatened while running because of being Native American? No, I don't think I have. Well, yes, sort of. I'm not sure if it was Native American, being Native American, but um, I have been harassed by like, you know, one time I think I was running during the winter time here in Minnesota at a state park and they're very um, strict about like the ski 
you know, the ski trail mm -hmm. and the running trail. And yeah, I run in the wintertime <laughs> on snow. It, and so I remember being alone out there and um, I thought I was at the right place. And, you know, I did have a, uh, a worker, a male um, who was not very nice to me. And I don't know if it was because I was Native American, but I felt really, um, he wasn't very helpful, even when I was crying in hmm. like this, like maybe a foot of snow. And he was very upset that I crossed the, the ski path. And I was trying to explain, hey, I'm just, I'm, I, I said, I know I'm like on the ski path, but I'm not really, I'm on the side here as I'm trying to get to the sign to know where I'm at. And it was very, um, he was not very nice. He made me cry. And I remember calling my husband and I was like, you know, just bawling. He's like, Hey, honey, you have to make it back to the main part. But that was really like painful. And it's just interesting now how I've learned to deal with that because my whole training for my hundred K has been at that particular state park. And so oh. I think it was a, you know, a learning to be able to like uh, overcome that and, and be able to like show myself that I can face this. And so that has been kind of almost like a healing journey too. Um, so in that way, I feel like maybe sometimes, uh, I don't know if it was because I'm native or because I, I was a woman, but I just remember marching to that main office saying, that was not cool of that guy to do this to me, you know, and just really standing up for myself was, was something that I was really proud of that day. Yeah, that's good. You did that. I think so many people would have just kind of kept crying, gone off to their car and maybe not even right. gone back there again. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So could you talk a little bit more about the, um, you know, that native people use running as a form of prayer and a connection mm -hmm. to ancestral lands? I, I just find that um, profoundly fascinating. Yes. You know, we, um, I think one of the things that I try to do with native woman running is encourage our native women that wherever they are is an acknowledgement of where they came from. Whether you're running in the middle of Chicago or Minneapolis, or whether you're running among the canyons or among the lakes that running on this land is, you know, it's often we say it's, you know, stolen land, but that's where there's just connection of having, you know, pounding your feet on the earth of the people who were there before is very spiritual, especially I think about specifically being Navajo. Um, there's a story that we, we have had for generations is that when we wake up, we wake up early in the morning and we face the East and we run to the East so mm -hmm. that we could greet creator. And we say our prayers and we, we, um, we ask for blessing all around for peace and balance and beauty, all that stuff. And I remember as a little girl hearing that, but not, it didn't really mean much to me until I became a runner and until also until I became like a morning runner and how that is just some type of beauty uh, of running for us. And I think that's how we take it a lot of times of the spiritual connection, uh, you know, in regards to that. So for like the Navajos, that story resonates to a lot of us who run on the Navajo Nation or who are Navajo. Um, it just is a really powerful uh, time. And I think me being here in Minnesota, you know, I, my people weren't up here, but I know this is the land of like Dakota, and uh, the Ojibwe and acknowledging, 
those people where I'm at when I run uh, where I'm at. And also, I think for me too, like going home, I've been away from home for a very long time, but going home is just different now because, you know, you always take those things for granted. And when I go home, I just take in the, the smell of the sagebrush, you know, the earth, the canyons, like those just mean so much more to me as an adult. And I'm grateful for those moments where I can can run in that because that space, that's our space and we we create our own space to run. So yeah, so that's kind of the way we look at running. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. So we also understand that many native runners run as a form of activism uh, mm-hmm. to bring awareness to missing and murdered indigenous women. Uh, so can you talk a little more about that? Yes. So <clears throat> missing and murdered indigenous women, the movement started in 2016. Um, our native women are going missing at a higher rate. Um, there's a lot of factors in regards to that. There was a study done by Urban Indian Health Institute out in Seattle where they did the study that there was over 5,000 cases of missing and murdered indigenous women and only 116 were actually recorded mm. in a Department of Justice database. And so mm. there's a lot of factors in regards to jurisdiction with tribal, police, um, federal, state, all those um, kind of, there's really no like one type of way to uh, when these cases happen. When a native woman goes missing on the reservation, a lot of times they're, they're the police that are there, they are covering a lot of land. So mm. it's not like easy to find these women when you don't have the full access of having a whole, you know, group of like police or, mm-hmm. you know, investigators or detectives or things like that. Also, oftentimes there is uh, just misclassification or like sometimes the girls who are maybe missing or murdered in the city, they're often uh, mistaken for maybe Asian or Mexican and mm-hmm. not like native. And so that makes it very difficult. There's also this, um, racism where a lot of times when there's communities where native women, especially like in Montana, you know, with places where oftentimes the police say, well, you know, she, she was in drugs or she'll come back or, uh, well, I heard she works on the street. So there's just no urgency to like, try to find these women. Mm -hmm. And so it's just such a, um, a sad case because I think, um, we often think about how, when a a non-native goes missing, there is urgency. There is, uh, they get the media attention all over the world, Mm -hmm. especially recently with the the girl named Gabby Petito. I think that was her name. I mean, her case was everywhere. And I remember saying something through a video on Native Women Running about how um, we're happy that she was found. We're happy that she had that. But a lot of times when these native women go missing, you know, some of them don't even have an article about them. Mm-hmm. But often, oftentimes these families are just waiting and no one's helping them. And that's really, I think, hard to see when everybody in the world was searching for her. Yeah. And so we're, as native women, as native people, we are just, we're doing our best to uh, bring light uh, to this in the forefront of this issue of awareness. And so when I started Native Woman Running, I was in a state where I couldn't like travel. So, you know, being a mother, I didn't have like the ability to just leave and march or protest. So when Native Woman Running was created, I wanted to do something 
where everyone could be part of this movement. And so I was able to uh, partner, partner with uh, Red Earth Running Company, which is a native running company and their founder, uh, Dirk. I told him this idea um, in 2019 about, because May 5th is the National Day Awareness for Missing and Murdered. And I told him, I said, hey, I think we should do this virtual run in honor of um, missing and murdered. And he's like, I think that's a great idea. Mm. And so we just put it out there. We had the color red, which is a red, that, a color that we use, which, you know, means, you know, no more silence. And so we created shirts and everybody ran virtually any pace, anytime, anywhere in honor of missing and murdered. And we just posted everything on our social media so that people could wonder why are these women wearing red? Mm. And so I think what I do with my activism is I try my best to bring people along and meet them where they're at. Not all of us can be at the forefront marching. Mm -hmm. Not all of us can be doing a lot of stuff at Washington DC or things like that, but that they could just walk out their door and maybe run or bike in, in honor of these women and showing their support. And so our first year was very successful. And then the next year we kind of were careful because of the pandemic. And this year I was able to, because I'm a Hoka global ambassador, Hoka was able to partner with me. And so on May 5th, we uh, did this run again. And this time we did race registration and a lot of the money, the proceeds went to an organization called MMIW USA that does a lot of the groundwork for families of missing and murdered. And so I um, learned how to become a race director then. And mm -hmm. I, it was amazing. I, we had over 3000 registered and we raised over $86,000 for MMIW USA. And it was just incredible to see how, if I put a call to action on native one running, how everybody does that. And mm -hmm. that I hope that everybody can learn and know that this is something that is all that's dear to every native person's uh, mm -hmm. life because we mm -hmm. always we look at each other as relatives and i think that's why we are really trying to be out there to show that we cannot be silent anymore for these women who have never been found or who's never gotten who never got justice and so that that's what we do and that's why we do it mm. wow well thank you for explaining that to us. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. So um, a final question. There's a growing movement that you obviously know to acknowledge the ancestral caretakers of the territory races are run on. And um, for example, um, the Missoula Marathon, which I'm doing next June, is mm -hmm. on the ancestral territories of the Confederated Salish, um, Kootenai, Blackfeet, and Arapaho tribes. So could you please enlighten us to this practice and how you think perhaps non-native runners could encourage race organizers to adopt this practice? I mean, it, yeah. it you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't take money. It doesn't take a lot of time. It just takes a, an awareness and a, you know, a conscious effort. Yes, of course. Um, that is becoming pretty popular among, you know, race directors of land acknowledgement. Um, it's very important to, you know, do that respectfully. Of course, I always encourage people to find, people in the area who are part of the lands there and um, asking them and also compensating them for their work. Mm -hmm. I think land acknowledgement is very important, but also I always encourage people that 
there needs to be more substance behind it. What are mm-hmm. you, what could you do for the community, native community in that area? Whether it's like sponsoring native youth or supporting native youth programs or giving to maybe the local tribal health center, like things like mm-hmm. that is really, it's a follow through. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, I think recently someone was kind of interested in land acknowledgement. We don't want it to be a trend. We don't want it to be where, well, we got it. It's a check mark. You know, let's let's mm-hmm. move on. But that there will be more to it. I think that was shown this year more with like the Boston Marathon. Mm. And uh, I know um, Patty, who's one of the, she was, I think, Patty Dillon. She's like a native runner who is one of the fastest runners. Um, and she's native and she gave the land acknowledgement this year. And there was a lot of native uh, people present because of the Indigenous Peoples Day. Mm-hmm. And so that was like really historical for us because we're like, wow, Boston Marathon. And I hope that more major uh, races do that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and non-natives just, uh, yeah, just encouraging that and wherever they are. And most of all, I always, I just got an email about someone who wanted to do a run for that. And I'm all about that. I just said, you know, make make sure that you try to support something in that area that is in regards to native people because mm-hmm. um, I think well sometimes in this industry or the work that I do we don't want to be tokenized mm-hmm. or we don't want to just uh, be like a checklist like okay we got that done let's move on and so mm-hmm. I'm really in my work trying to encourage people to go beyond that and uh, follow through on what they uh, they promise and mm-hmm. I think that's really important to native runners that you show up for us in many ways besides that. Mm. Well, Verna, you have really opened my mind and I um, Mm -hmm. think probably a lot of the listeners. So thank you so much for sharing. Oh, yes, you are so welcome. All right, Liz, I know you have to hop. I suspect you might have to go pick up your kids from school or something. So uh, thanks for joining me for the first half of the conversation. Okay. And our next guest is Nicole Albright, a full member of the Potawatomi Prairie Band Indians of Kansas. Um, a teacher, Nicole, and her family live in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, which I looked up and it is, I found out it is outside of Harrisburg. Um, Nicole is a marathon runner. Thank you for joining us, Nicole. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's start with how old are your kids and what grade slash subject do you teach at school? My son will turn 10 next week. Oh, big yeah. So that's exciting. And I am a high school band director. So awesome. I teach grades nine through 12 and I teach music theory and jazz band, things like that. Oh, fabulous. And it's great. Your school has program like that. Yeah. Our school has a really phenomenal music program. It's really nice to have. Oh, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. 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 And I take it. You must play instruments yourself. I do. Yeah. I actually taught beginning band for about 18 years. Uh-huh. And then I last year, got my dream job is the high school band director. So I've kind of moved into the position that I've always wanted. This is the high school where I went to high school. And oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I've stuck around, made full yeah. circle. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Well, let's take you back in time though, to um, uh, not a pleasant incident in <laughs> fifth, in fifth grade that um, about how a bullying incident um, that year helped you discover your ancestry. Yeah, it wasn't. It's funny at the time, I didn't really think of it as bullying, but you know, in elementary school, you get that a lot. But Mm -hmm. uh, one of the young men in my class 
kind of just came up to me and asked me which one of my family members, which one of my parents was black. And I didn't really think anything of it. I just went home and kind of relayed the information to my parents and they didn't say a whole lot. They let it slide. But then my dad took me aside and said, you know, I think we're going to see if your grandfather can come in Mm. and do a presentation for your class. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, we're really proud. And I knew we were native back then. We said Native American. We knew that we were Native American and we talked mm-hmm. about it a lot. And I was always made to feel kind of special about it. But so, yeah, my grandfather came in and did a presentation to our entire fifth grade about our tribe and mm. our family and everything. So kind of turned it around into a really positive yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, that's awesome. So so since then, have you gotten in touch with and, and bolstered your Native American self? Oh, for sure. So that was kind of, you know, the tipping point and then learning about our tribe. And then when um, and my dad grew up on the reservation oh. that's located in Kansas in a town called Mayetta, about half an hour north of Topeka. And um they moved to Pennsylvania because my grandfather was in the military. Mm. And then they moved back to Kansas because my grandfather really missed living there. Mm. But so they lived there for about 10 years. And then my grandmother was kind of tired of it because it's Kansas. And oh, I shouldn't now, say anything now, 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 Kansas. now, <laughs> well, on the reservation, it is very laid back. And mm. when I go out there, it is, you know, being an East coaster and growing up on the East coast, things are a little bit more fast paced. (laughs) So when you go on the reservation and you have to, you know, just learn to sit and people are so good about enjoying each other and just talking and, you know, just being around everybody so that uh-huh. it's a very different way of living out there. So that's uh-huh. what I meant by that. I yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It's funny when I, um, so I grew up on the East coast and um, I, when I, one of the first times I visited the West coast, I remember I was walking very briskly at an airport toward uh, one of those uh, automatic doors and it didn't open in time by the time I got there, like I had to stop. And I was like, Oh, I think I need to like slow it down a little, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then um, I got to go to the reservation when I was a senior in college with oh. my dad and two of my cousins. Mm-hmm. And we stayed on the reservation my, with my cousin. She still has a house there. And it's very interesting because all of the roads are letters. So oh. we were staying on Q Road. Uh-huh. And it just... That was all visiting family and just kind of being there with them. So it was really laid back. And then our tribe every summer has a powwow. Mm. So that just really kind of immersed me into our tribe and what their beliefs were and just kind of how special it was and how special it is out there Mm -hmm. with setting aside all of your worries and just being with everybody and, you know, enjoying family. And that was always very impactful to me. And then the next year I went out again because our tribe is actually split into nine bands. Mm. So we're Potawatomi Prairie Band. Mm -hmm. And 
every summer, all of the bands come together at a different reservation and have a gathering. Mm -hmm. So the next summer I was out there for the gathering and that just kind of blew me away. But the most meaningful thing I did while we were there that summer was we went to my great grandmother who was full-blooded Potawatomi had a homestead and we were able to go to the homestead Mm. and where my dad grew up for a naming ceremony. So my cousins and myself and my dad was there, we were all named and that just was, you know, I will always remember that. Mm, that's wonderful. That's but wonderful. yeah. So th- yeah, things like that have really helped bring it home, I guess, mm-hmm. and ingrain me into some of those ways that they live out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice, nice. So, so let's talk about your running for a sec. You have, um, you you told me that you've run twenty three half marathons, fifteen marathons, and I love this one, a forty miler for your fortieth birthday. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> it actually, I, there's something. Well, first of all, it was a trail run. Wow. So you can really slow down uh-huh. and, in, and enjoy yourself. And there was so much food because <laughs> it was on a looped seven mile course. So every seven miles, you were back to a home spot and you could eat something and, you know, change your socks. So <laughs> it was a very fun day. <laughs> And uh, how long have you been a runner? I started running, I guess, on a regular basis when I was 25. So right out of college, when I had gotten my first job, just needed to find some balance in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So uh, we connected by the um, our Searching for Diverse Voices Google form, and you wrote on there, mm-hmm. Running is therapy and a time to connect with the world around me. Um, I, and I just love that. Um, and I also love the beautiful sensitive nature photos on one of your Instagram accounts. So, so talk to us please about your relationship with your natural surroundings and how running factors into that. Well, running just, and if I travel anywhere, I will go for a run mm-hmm. outside because you just get such a better sense of your surroundings and kind of the feel for that community and the feel for where you are if you run Mm -hmm. and just it doesn't ever phase me with security or anything because I don't think anyone ever bothers you when you're out running and you just look like you're enjoying it but um what was the other part of that question? Just about <laughs> just the, 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 the natural, the, you know, the, the natural oh, surroundings yes. and the beauty of nature mm-hmm. and yeah, and the beauty of nature and my foot. So, yeah, I just, I found with photography and, you know, one of the great things about us being able to take our phones everywhere is you start to notice things more and with running, especially you're looking around and you just get to immerse yourself a little bit more in the surroundings, in the places where you are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. nice. So tell us a bit about the group you joined in 2020 called The Bridge. Oh, okay. So our town is very interesting. It is very diverse. Our school district where I work is very diverse. And during that time when all of the shootings were happening, a lot of friends of mine and started talking about what can we do? What can we do to 
make our school a better place, make it more understanding about all of these situations that are going on, but help us to understand what's going Mm -hmm. on and be there for all of our friends that may be people of color that need us in a way that is the most helpful. Mm -hmm. So we found this being the bridge community and it's based off of things that you may read in the Bible and everything. And the important part about it is it has to be half people of color and half non-people of color. Mm. So a friend of mine asked me to be in it and I, you know, didn't really know which way I was. (laughs) I didn't know (laughs) if she knew about my heritage or not, because, Mm. you know, some people don't put it together Mm -hmm. just by looking at you, which is fine. So I was there and I just started to learn that this group was going to make such a huge impact because we were sharing stories Mm -hmm. and we were just able to see things in such a different way because you're sharing your thoughts and it's in a safe place where you can share your thoughts, but then you may also be educated by them Mm -hmm. in something that you wouldn't have thought of it in their way. So it's just, it was, it's been so meaningful to be able to see both sides, you know, a very native thing is to walk a mile in somebody else's moccasins. Mm -hmm. And that has always been really important to me. And this group has really brought that to light. Mm, Lovely. And so uh, you all are still meeting. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. And so on that same Google form, you you did talk about something you alluded to in that answer just there is that that you can kind of, you say, fly under the radar as a white person. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and that you talked on the Google form about a revelation you had at the meeting, (laughs) at a a meeting of the bridge and, and, um, you know, like what actions are you now taking to enlighten others about your culture? Well, I still don't go out and say too much about my culture, but I have been trying to educate myself as much as possible about the things that are going on around me. For instance, there is a school in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is 20 minutes from where I live that housed, I guess they called it the Carlisle Indian school Mm. where people were taken there to kind of try to take away their culture. Mm-hmm. And I, there was a saying that actually happened at this Carlisle Indian school, kill the Indian, save the man. Mm. And I, so that's one thing that I'm really trying to educate myself on because I don't want to go out and give misinformation. So I've been learning as much as I can about that. Mm-hmm. And then I also, you know, follow the Native Women Running and a couple other Instagram accounts. So right now, I think what I'm really trying to do is get all of the information together so that I can start helping people understand why these things are so important to be brought to light and Mm -hmm. to kind of be remedied in a way or just so that people aren't ignorant about why we care about them so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think information and learning is, is the first step in being able to do something and, and make, make change. Absolutely. Be a lifelong yeah. learner. Yeah. 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 So, so when you're running, do you ever feel more in touch with your native American background or something 
native deep within you, like that it's in your DNA mm-hmm. because running is um, s- such an integral part of the Native American culture? Or is that a oh, ignorant yeah. question? No, that absolutely. And you get lost. You know, I listen to podcasts, obviously, all the time. <laughs> and there's mornings where I'm running and you get into such a state of Zen that you don't even listening to what's going on in your ears. Mm-hmm. And I really feel that that's because I'm outside. I'm getting that fresh air and, and it's all part of being back into the community. And, you know, as a native person, and I'm sure many other people feel this way too, when you're really doing that outside, you're kind of being with nature. And I don't know how to explain it with native people really feel like everything's connected Mm -hmm. and you really feel that connection and you kind of, like I said, get into a Zen mode and your feet are hitting the ground. And sometimes I feel like the ancestors are just watching out for us and it's just all kind of coming back. And then you realize you have to go home and get ready for work. But (laughs) (laughs) for, for that, for that time out in nature. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's lovely. That's lovely. Um, and so what steps would you like to see the running community take to be more inclusive, whether, whether to native Americans, other runners of color, trans runners, lesbian, queer runners, you know, anyone, mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, sounds like, uh, educating themselves might be, might be the first step, but any other thoughts? Absolutely. I, you know, the running world, I feel like is one of the best and you know, this it's just so accepting, but I guess one of the best things that we could start doing is just helping when they can, you know, using the powers of raising funds for certain things, you know, race directors do a really fabulous job of fundraising for certain things. So maybe finding out where you live and what types of heritages are there that you could help out in a way, Mm -hmm. or if there's a place that's near a reservation, like ask them, is there anything that you guys need funding for? Can we help in that way? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as runners go out and get involved in that, you know, run the races, pay the race fee and Mm -hmm. just try to be supportive in that way. But education, absolutely. But, you know, trying to help out in that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, on the subject of races, do you have one on your on your horizon? Yeah, I'm going to go to um, Oak Island oh, in North Carolina. Okay. And yeah, my sister and I are trying to do one in every state. So oh. it's, we're, we're at the very beginning of the you endeavor. Start, you have to start somewhere. Uh, well, right. So <laughs> how many states have you knocked off already? Well, we just did Ohio. We did the flying pig marathon a couple of weeks ago. And I think that was state 11. Oh, you're not at the very beginning. I mean, you're, you're more than a fifth of the way there. I know. Actually, this morning I was listening to one of your podcasts and they were talking. It, it was um, with Trish about New York City. And she was talking uh-huh. about how she's run 56 marathons or so. And I thought, oh, my gosh, by the end of this, I'll be saying yeah, exactly. a similar amount. You have to get to 50 somehow. <laughs> yes, exactly. You realize it counts in different categories. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, so that's, you want to run a marathon in each state or a half marathon. 
marathon. a marathon. All right. Yeah. All right. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, we're going down to Oak Island in February. Oh, that should be lovely. That should be. Yeah. Lovely. I'm excited about that one. Good. Well, well, thank you, Nicole. Thank you for filling out the form and for being a guest on today's show. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Sarah. Take care. You too. All right. Well, I'm, I'm left on my own. Uh, so uh, this week we had an exciting uh, registration open up. It is for Joy to the Run. Uh, the full title of it is Joy to the Run and Another Mother Runner Holiday Challenge. I've already had, I got the update this morning, I've already had 650 women sign up for this free community-wide running program that keeps you moving through the time of the year when daylight is in short supply and as Dimity likes to say, chaos rings like jingle bells. So um, there's, you know, momentum, motivation, inspiration, all those things thrive with camaraderie. So um, Dimity has worked up a um, month-long 31 days of workouts with innovative, clever, doable workouts with opportunities to win running gear as well. And when you register, again, it's free. You get a PDF with um, that calendar of those 31 days of workouts and also when you register, you have an opportunity to give back where we are including an opportunity to pay it forward with a donation to Back on My Feet, which is a nationwide organization that recognizes how powerful forward movement and community is in transforming lives, um, works with the um, homeless and um, addicted population or also people in treatment facilities. So we're um, hoping to raise a goodly amount of funds for Back on My Feet. So to find joy to the run, please go to anothermotherrunner.com. It's uh, events is in the top navigation bar and joy to the run is the first item in the drop-down menu. It kicks off December 1st. So dash on over to our site right now to register. And again, it's free. And I do have to say there's a really cute tea that you can um, purchase as an add-on. Um, so, but the program again is free. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. 